survive their cruise yeah, yeah they didn't they, get quarantined mm-mm. i was thinking about them i was mm-hmm. thinking about people who enjoy cruises and wondering if this was the cure for that okay so the other night uh one of our friends was telling a joke and he mentioned that cruise ship captains have to be italian wait what no okay okay when did uh, this come up and who was that just seems it wrong to Matt me. Matt Sadler, and he oh. was telling a joke. So I was like, is this part of the joke, or is that fucking true? Was this in the context of some anti-Italian humor, or like what? <laughs> he was talking about like an Italian uh, uh, captain that w- he was talking to, and he's like, because they all have to be now. And I was like, what? That sounds like a weird Is the cruise joke. industry mm-hmm. finally going to die? <laughs> I was very excited. Probably I could not find. Thing. No be great i googled italian cruise ship captains just in case he's right and it's just that true crime one yeah it's yeah yeah, you did this too some guy is guilty of manslaughter and then if you keep scrolling there's one where it's like this guy um got oh no never mind that was an article i read that i'll probably save oh yeah for a later date oh my god somebody else jumped off oh yeah there's some Mm -hmm. good stuff when Mm -hmm. you google italian cruise ship captains (laughs) yeah it's hard to be peppy it is with i've got uh my company's got offices in san francisco and seattle and new york and so there's like you travel are are they not making you travel travel right now travel is shut the hell down same yeah there's no travel in fact one of our uh team one of my team members was traveling for just funsies out of the country and she's not allowed to come to the office for three weeks she has to work from home according to our policy there's some like journalist for i don't know whatever abc cbc whatever cbs Anyways, CDC. Um, yeah, CDC uh, was over in Italy, like, you know, tracking all the stuff. And then Italy was like, guess what? We're locking down. No one can leave or enter. And the person tweeted out and was like, I guess I live in Italy now. <laughs> it's like, you do yeah, for guys. the foreseeable future. Yes. Hey, everybody. If you were ever thinking about immigrating anywhere, do it yeah, now. Do it right now. Right. They're about to lock you in wherever you are. So this is musical chairs time. Mm-hmm. Cross that border. Stay there. How expensive are flights to Canada? At this point, free. There are. <laughs> the, the, Did y'all the see the, the fucking, cases in Canada? You can Canada. go to Hawaii round trip for like three fifty right yeah. now. Yeah. I'm f- any cases in hawaii no mm. hawaii you'll get it you know last or first it kind of depends yeah. on who lands there yeah <laughs> houston though so ha- san antonio too oh really oh uh, mm-hmm. well once san antonio gets something we're only 30 <laughs> we're, minutes yeah. from getting well because we that too. woman was in that quarantine station in san antonio they're like hey you're good she goes to the fucking mall mm-hmm Goes into Talbot's and licks a bunch of clothes or whatever. And then they're like, what whoops. What flavor is this chocolate pantsuit? <laughs> I loved reading that one about like the priest in wherever who ended up being diagnosed with it and like served communion to like his entire Jesus fuck. Oh man, and they do that mouth to mouth too, don't they? Yeah. Here you it's go. Been a while I'm going to put it right there. here and depends on the priest. You yeah. Just <laughs> give a little kiss and get that body of Christ right in, yeah. <laughs> 
We're all going to get it because we're laughing. Yep. It's good to get it pre-digested like a baby bird. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's I could stand to lose some way. weight, bruh. Do you lose any weight? I'm sure. It's respiratory. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're just in a hospital sleeping. I don't know. I didn't lose any weight when I was in the hospital. I think you actually need like a cancer for the automatic weight loss. Or appendicitis. Yeah, or appendicitis. That's a good one. Yeah, something where they're stabbing into your abdomen. Just laying there, all I did was lose muscle mass and gain body fat. Well, it all balanced out. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'd rather not a cancer. I'd I'd fuck with appendicitis. Yeah. I recommend it. You only get that weight loss once, though. That's the thing. So you better make full use of it. I feel like now's the time. I feel like I would have wasted it in my youth. (laughs) I got it when I got chunky from puberty in it. Mm -hmm. It cleared that right up it was awesome cleared that right up it did it did thank god uh karina it looks like you're i'm studying okay studying well while she's studying i thought you were trying to cure it i I, she has it i have what no she has the cure cure. she doesn't have oh wouldn't that be cool if one of us turned out to be yeah i know right there's been so many Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be cool if one of us turned out to be like the magic human who naturally has the cure inside mm-hmm. of them. And then like you get to go have your blood sucked out of you by the government to save everybody else. Yep. Or whatever, however that movie like goes. In, sounds like weight loss. Yeah. That sounds like weight loss. Yeah. Lose enough blood. Oh my pounds God. Pounds come off. If the CDC came to me and said like, there's something in your body that will cure COVID, but it only activates if you get your, you know, BMI under 21. <laughs> I don't think Everyone's I could do it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I could do it. Yeah. Same. I think we'd They're all like, be like, we're going to starve you. Sorry. No, no, you're not. Don't do it. You're not. You can, you can get about 10 pounds off of this and then the body just quits. Trust me. I've tried. That's <laughs> <laughs> all that comes off. We are old. And we're Same. also weird brunch. Yay. Yay! There you go. <laughs> I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm Lisa Friedrich. And I'm Karina the Cure Magyar. Ooh. I love that. Yeah. Up to bat. Sure. Here she comes. Gonna gonna clean up to the ring. Ooh. <laughs> Same deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, with all this talk about pandemics, pandas everywhere. Pandas. Um. I'm gonna talk about one of them, everyone's favorite, but a specific part of it. Um. We all know of the Black Plague, Black Death, bubonic plague. Um, Turns out there were kind of three waves of plague. I'm so sorry. Yes. Yes. Before we go any further. Yeah. What is the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic? A pandemic is an epidemic that spans across multiple countries. Got it. And I think the real like big difference I mean, that is the definition difference. And then the big difference from a policy standpoint is an epidemic, the efforts are aimed at stopping it from spreading. And a pandemic, the efforts are aimed at slowing down the spread because it's it too late. It's it going to spread. It is too late. You just want to slow it down so we can find a cure. Okay. So the crack epidemic was not a pandemic. The crack, no, because it was very localized to the people that Ronald Reagan wanted to kill. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. The more you know. <laughs> Do like a little rainbow sound. The sound that rainbows make. Anyways, <laughs> That's um, that, that was, was what it was. <laughs> silence. Um, so <laughs> a quick little 
run through on the bubonic plague. Um, bubonic is one of three types of plague caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. Uh, it's spread by fleas. Yersinia pestis. Yersinia. Didn't he have a talk show in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Dog pound. What is it? <laughs> you know, you know where all those fleas were spreading in the dog pound. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Um, I was just so <laughs> people who got bit by infected fleas uh, would start to experience uh, flu-like symptoms: uh-huh. fever, headache, vomiting, mm. swollen lymph nodes. Mm. Um, which I don't, in my head, your lymph nodes are like in your throat, but that's wrong. They're under your armpits. And well, I think there are some nodes in your Yeah, I thought they're like right under your, your jaw. Yeah. There's a couple there, but there's also ones in your armpits and ones in your groin Ooh. area. So the lymphs, they're, they're, there's a few of them. Mm. So those would swell up and uh, most people died. Uh, it'd take about 10 days. It was real terrible. Like the one that people are... I think are most familiar with is from the 14th century um, where it was really bad, wiped out like 60% of the European population. People are fucking dying like crazy. But the thing about the bubonic plague and black death was that it just kind of kept coming back. So Jesus, Lisa, I'm, I'm just, so, I just scooted my chair back. I'm trying you so it. hard. Um, I mean, I am scooting it back so I can eat a case. Right. That's fine. You have your own chair or whatever it's called. Live your life. Yes. So I'm going to put a whole episode together of us just yelling at each other. God (laughs) damn it. (laughs) But so the plague keeps coming back. And the second kind of wave of the plague was called the Great Plague of London. It lasted from 1665 to 1666. So this is like over 300 years. Europe just keeps getting kind of pounded with the plague for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, The Great Plague of London, second really terrible wave. It killed about 100,000 people and almost a quarter of London's population was dead within 18 months of this fucking plague. And then the minute it ended, the whole city burned down. Yeah, right? (laughs) That's awesome. Party. Good year for London. Mm-hmm. When was Jack the Ripper? He was like 200 years old. Yeah, that was like late yeah. 19th century. This doesn't have anything to do with Jack the Ripper. He's another pandemic. <clears throat> so Multiple countries. London is fucked. It's 1665. People are like, this might not like the beginnings of this new wave of the plague. Um. We're jumping to a fun little town called Eam, E-Y-A-M, Eam, Eams, um, where a for very unfortunate tailor gets a bundle of flea-infested blankets from London. <laughs> uh it's it's a mega bummer. You know, you don't know until you open it and then you're like, oh shit, there's hey, fleas everywhere. That you don't know dude. what you don't know. You don't. He must have run to ye old Yelp so fast. So right. <laughs> ye old Yelp. Hear ye, hear ye, I have a Yelp. Uh, that's how it worked back then. So this guy, his name was Vickers. Of course. Within it a was. week of Vic uh, within oh, a Vickers. week. Yeah. Vickers is dead dead vickers from the plague 
and everyone in Iyam is like, fuck, has, you know, the little dog with the fire everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is fine. Um, six weeks after the outbreak, 29 of the 800 people who live in Iyam have died. Uh, they're starting to freak out even more, but guess what? It's wintertime. And in the wintertime, the bugs die a little bit more. Things kind of scale back. Mm -hmm. This is September. We're moving into like November, December, 1665. And they're like, maybe this is okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. Some people died. Everyone's dying. It's we're close enough to London to where this shit is happening. And at that point, they had no idea this stuff was spread by fleas. Yeah, no, no. And by May, there are no deaths at all in Eom. And people are like, we're good. But turns out the disease had mutated into Jack the Ripper. (laughs) Instead of having to contract the disease by a flea rat flea human cycle, it got into the lungs and became pulmonary, Ew. which I wonder about because bubonic plague, which is the fleas, the lymph nodes, all that is one of three types of plagues. And the third type of plague is pulmonary or pneumonic plague, which means it's a severe lung infection also caused by Yersinia pestis. Who hosted that show? Anyways, okay. um, so I wonder if it just mutated into that second type of plague. I don't know because it wasn't there. Yeah, okay. Uh, so summer rolls around. It starts to get hot, and the plague is like, "I'm back, bitch, with a vengeance." Man, fuck fleas, for real, the mm. worst. Mm-hmm. By June, sixteen sixty six. Eom gets a new rector. His name is William Mompesson. And he's like, y'all, this is real bad. It's a mutated, like it's different than the plague we were getting before. We need to quarantine ourselves. And everyone in the town is like, you're like the new guy. Um, we don't know if we're down with that yet. Like, I don't want to work from home. Yeah. Yep. My internet's weird. We've I never can't work from South home. By Southwest We've never before. canceled South by. Um, what about the rodeo? Uh, <laughs> for real though. Yeah. East by Eom. Eom was also an important trade route between Sheffield and Manchester. Doesn't sound that important. Uh, well, back then it was. Um, <laughs> uh, and. The way Mompesson, I don't know if I could say that. Uh, Is that just like it, British for like, mommy son? Mommy, mommy son, we'll okay. call him that. Okay. Um, he was like, if we're having this plague and people are constantly coming from Sheffield here to Manchester, like a fuck ton of people are going to die because of this. Also, England was in the wake of a religious civil war. They sure were. Um, and the crown had been restored just five years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, yeah, people are like, I don't know if we trust this new Puritan, like, leader, mommy person or mom person. Um, we trust Thomas Stanley, who's our old guy, and he's living at the edge of the village right now. And if it were him saying it, we'd quarantine ourselves, but it's not. So fuck you. Mm-hmm. And Mompesson is like, Stanley, let's talk. Uh, despite our deli- religious differences, we need to work something out. And you need to tell the people that we need to quarantine because I don't think it's good for thousands and thousands of people to die from our mutated strain of the plague. 
And luckily, Stanley is like, I agree. And they go and tell the townspeople, we really think that we should quarantine ourselves. And the, everyone's like, fuck, this sucks, but you're right. Oh, man. So Stanley said it. Yeah, Stanley said it. And so they believed him. Because mm-hmm. he's got a so, good real, real name. He does. This is like when like Obama agrees with Trump and we're all like, oh, shit. Fuck. Okay. I guess that's... So, wait, that's never happened. <laughs> nope. So a quarantine... <laughs> is established within a one mile radius marked off by these rings of stones. And for 14 months, nobody can go in or out of the village. So is that because all the people from Sheffield and Manchester thought that fairies lived there? Possibly. Mm. Fairies of death. Yeah. Um, the gross only kind ones of fairies with like that boils are real. in their armpits. Yeah. Uh, so everyone around the town, like not, quarantine but you know in the surrounding areas is aware that they've quarantined themselves on purpose and people start bringing food to the edge of the boundary so that they can eat and the people in Iyam leave coins in vinegar so that it they thought the vinegar kind of sanitized the coins which I guess it did you know to what? an extent they might be right yeah yeah um uh, unfortunately, inside the quarantine zone, deaths skyrocketed. Who'd have thunk it? Mm. I mean, but they knew that was going to happen. So during the seclusion, bodies were piling up. Families were having to bury their own dead on the outskirts of town. But they're learning also, they're like, hey, we don't wheel the dead people through the middle of the city anymore. Like, you know, bring out your dead style from... Sneak them out the back. Yeah, sneak them out the back. Like, don't hang around dead animals either. Just like dead stuff. Don't do it. Uh, There was a woman named Elizabeth Hancock who had six of her children die and her husband died within a month. And people said that they, like, there were people on the outskirts that would kind of watch almost like, Back when you could just sit and watch like a piece of the war during the Civil War. It's like Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so they're. They just watch people yeah, die. They just watched her. She dragged every single as she dragged her members of her family out into the outskirts of town. To after bury six them. kids and a husband, like after which one were you like? Uh. Yeah. yeah, God. It's I mean, just another manic Monday. I guess I'm next. Um, just In a letter that Mompesson wrote, he said, my ears have never heard such doleful lamentations. My nose has never smelt such noisome, noisome, I, noisome, I, noisome smells. Mm. I even looked that up and did the little, how do you say this? Mm. My nose has never smelt such noisome smells and my eyes have never beheld such ghastly spectacles. His wife, Catherine, God, died. I would really like to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger say that sentence. Mm. Ghastly <laughs> spectacles. His wife, Catherine, died in August of 1666 mm. and he said that the town was a Golgotha which is a place of skulls. It's like a mountain of skulls. People say that the place where Jesus was crucified looks like a Golgotha or where he was supposedly crucified, whatever. Allegedly. (laughs) Um, So inside Eon, people are trying to limit cross infection, 
cross in, you know, cross contamination, cross contamination, uh, sermons are held outside. Bodies are no longer wheeled through the street. And a few people are like, fuck our houses. We're going to go camp in the hills and just hope it gets better, which Mm. is probably your best bet. Um, in all, 260 of EOM's 800 residents perished during the quarantine, more than double the, re- the mortality rate of the Great Plague of London, which was 100,000. Um, Mompesson said that the villagers' self-sacrifice did end up working, though the plague never spread to nearby towns. And 14 months later, in November of 1667, the quarantine was lifted. Hmm. Um, it was successful because nobody came in or out and, uh, yeah, they still, the town is still there. Mm -hmm. You can see like the main stone that people would leave their food on and stuff. And yeah, it's just, you know, that's a timely tale. Yeah. Um, shout out to Italy for taking one for the team. Shout out to China for using their totalitarian crackdowns to slow this thing down long enough right. to give us all a chance to figure out what to call it. That's true. Well, I mean, you know, and the memorable COVID-19. Yeah, it. we really did a great job with that. We also got real good and ready. Mm-hmm. This oh. says China's at 80,955 infected right now. Yeah, they were, last I checked, China and South Korea are going down. Like they're, I saw that too. they're getting better. I saw that too. Yeah. Not, uh, not pandemic related, but you know, uh, fucked up related. Hey, okay. we like fucked up. Yep. That's what we're here for. So, uh, I want to take us back to 1962. Ew. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Way back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we got the cold war happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castro gets, uh, pushed up in Cuba uh, so we're like, oh no, that's a communist, and he's close to here. <laughs> oh no, Cuba's so big. <laughs> oh no. Um, and in 1961, there was the Bay of Pigs invasion, um, where the Cubans that were opposing Castro kind of did just, you know, a bang up job of a revolution mm-hmm. funded by the uh, the U.S. government, and of course that did fail. Um, so from that, you know. America's like, well, okay, well, what do we do to get these dirty commies away from Florida? Um, (laughs) Unless they're bringing in cocaine. Yeah. I'm sure that's the exact amount of tone and caring that we're putting in. (laughs) We don't want Florida to be fucked up in a few years. Oh, man. We all know Florida's falling first, no matter what the invasion is. Oh, yeah. Florida goes down first. That's where the fountain of youth is, everyone. Go for it. Yeah. Um, it's in the swamp drink it (laughs) (laughs) um so this is where operation northwoods comes out of and um so we know about this um well okay we didn't know about this for like 35 years um but in this document titled justification for u.s military intervention in cuba very succinct it's just like covid19 um this was a top secret collection of memoranda written by the department of defense and joint chiefs of staff um the document was presented by the joint chiefs of staff to the secretary of defense robert mcnamara we all know that name 
um, on March 13th, 1962. So this was basically like a business proposal. <laughs> like, okay, uh, I heard what you asked for. And uh, here's what we think we can do. Um, and this was in response to a request for um, pretext for military intervention by uh, the chief of operations of the Cuba Project yeah. named Edward Lansdale. This document listed methods and outlined plans that the um, Department of Defense believed uh, would get public and international support for U.S. military intervention in Cuba because no one knew that they had already done this with the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> um, and according to the documents, the plan called for the following. Desirable... Uh, to use legitimate provocation as the basis for U.S. military intervention in Cuba. A cover and deception plan could be executed as an initial effort to provoke Cuban reactions. Harassment plus deceptive actions to convince the Cubans of Im imminent invasion would be emphasized. Our military posture... Throughout execution of the plan will allow a rapid change from exercise to intervention if Cuban response justifies. So they're like, how do we get in there? We're just going to fuck with them until they get mad. Um, and then another thing was a series of well-coordinated incidents will be planned to take place in and around Guantanamo to give genuine appearance of being done by hostile Cuban forces. At the time, Guantanamo was still a U.S. military base. Still is still no. is yeah, yeah. <laughs> no go to get mo no no um so now they're talking about fucking with our own military base uh the u.s would respond by executing offensive operations to secure water and power supplies destroying artillery and mortar emplacements which threatened the base and then uh commence large-scale united states military operations so this was their build-up <clears throat> huh. There was also Operation Mongoose. Um, the U.S. Department of Defense had a number of similar proposals to Northwoods to be taken against the Cuban regime. Um, Twelve of these proposals came from a memorandum from February 2nd, 1962, called Possible Actions to Provoke, Harass, or Disrupt Cuba. That one's a little bit more straightforward. That, that definitely mm -hmm. says what it yeah. does I, on the tin. I yeah. think, like, you Provoke, know, harass. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, whenever you think of a title, you think, like, what sums this up? <laughs> <laughs> so, this outlines Operation Bingo, a plan Was that to its name, O? See. Um, a plan to, quote, create an incident which has the appearance of an attack on U.S. facilities in Cuba, thus providing an excuse for the U.S. military might overthrow the government of Cuba. Um, also includes Operation Dirty Trick. Ooh. Oh. The 60s were cool, man. <laughs> Dirty Trick. Um, this was a plot to blame Castro if the 1962, this is so fucked up, if the 1962 Mercury manned space flight carrying John Glenn mm -hmm crashed oh wow what? just in the event that it crashed this was their backup plan Jesus. this was a dirty trick wow um this says That's the objective cynical as fuck it's really it's really dark oh. it's so fucking dark 
Um, uh, so this says the objective is to provide irrevocable proof that should the Mercury manned orbit flight fail, the fault lies with communists. <clears throat> it continues this to be accomplished by manufacturing various pieces of evidence which would prove electronic interference on the part of the Cubans. Meaning we would kill John Glenn. Jeez. It's so dark. Wait, deliberately? Uh-huh. Oh. Turns out. No, don't well, do that. You know, the Department of Defense is... <clears throat> they've got a job to do, Karina. Um, <laughs> and they got to get there. They got to get that job done. They got to defend everything we stand for. Uh, by Even not if they got to kill an it. astronaut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the possibilities were uh, an assassination of Cuban immigrants, sinking boats of Cuban refugees, hijacking planes to be shot down, or given the appearance of being shot down, blowing up a U.S. ship and orchestrating violent terrorism in U.S. cities. Jesus. So is this one of those Kennedy did 9-11 type things? Um, well... I was just about to get to that. Um, So on March 15th, 1962, Kennedy personally rejected this shit. (laughs) Yay! Um, Sorry we shot you. Yeah. Following the presentation of this plan, Mm. Kennedy removes the chairman of the Joint uh, Chiefs of Staff. He's like, "Mm -mm, you did bad. This is a not good idea. (laughs) You did bad. Y'all fucked up. But then that same guy became Supreme Allied Commander of NATO in January 63. So not that bad. Mm -hmm. A little bad. When was Kennedy killed? 63. 63. Okay. U.S. military leaders began to see Kennedy as like being a little bitch (laughs) and uh (laughs) he became increasingly unpopular with the military because they're still like hey remember remember that great war we just had let's fucking go um the rift came to a head during kennedy's disagreements with the service chiefs over the cuban missile crisis and the so the reason we know all of this to be true is that uh, it was made public on November 18th, 1997 by the JFK Assassination Records Review Board. Mm. Again, let's work on these titles, guys. (laughs) Mm. Um, This is a U.S. federal agency that oversees the release of government records um, specifically to his assassination. Um, This was a total of 1,521 pages of once secret military records covering 1962 to 1964. Where's JFK's library? You never hear about his. You know, I know where almost all the other presidential libraries are, but I don't know. For some reason, I think it's actually in D.C. Uh, Boston. Oh. Well, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it does. But that makes yeah. sense. Sorry, I don't know. I just thought that. Like, where are these papers going? No. Oh, no. That's it. <laughs> I need to find <laughs> Show them. me the evidence. Fucking <laughs> yeah. like Nick Cage over here. Um, oh, my God. Can you imagine the kind of people who are, like, standing in line at the reception desk of the JFK library asking to see papers? Do you know how many how many of my friends go to um, the plaza every fucking November? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's a whole fucking thing. To what? To solve it? My friend Craig goes every... There's a group... Like, there's a large number of people that go every year on that day just to, like, be there. What? And I guess... 
It was November 22nd, right? Yeah, See? yeah. Okay. Day that, after my birthday. I mean, it's a nice day to be in Dallas. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it, it's a great weather's nice. time to be in Dallas, mm. but I mean, not for everyone, obviously. Um, Jeez. But yeah, and then I think actually the news about the government having this kind of like terrorism against its own people idea mm-hmm. broke on CNN, did some series on uh, the JFK assassination and it kind of broke there. Um, so that's fucking weird to me because internet. Yeah. But in 97. Yeah, in 97. That was all there was. Out, and everyone's watching the news. Yeah. I mean, you could have dropped it on AOL, I guess. <laughs> Check this out in just it a bunch of 37 chats. minutes to download the article. Mm-hmm. But it's um, worth it. But yeah. So that is why uh, the government did 9-11. Okay. No, no, that that explains. The, I see the leap there. I mean, wait thirty-five years. What is that? That'll be twenty forty-six. Just uh, wait. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Okay. Yeah, It'll we'll know in twenty forty-six. It'll come out if there's still a. Uh, you know all these things. <laughs> People, all these things. countries, presidents. <laughs> okay, so I have a sports story. <laughs> 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 this dystopian <laughs> bullshit we live in. Welcome, welcome to w- Weird Brunch. So, yeah, so this is a sports story. Uh, at least starts that way. <laughs> Don't they all? Yeah. It's this guy named uh, George Freeth. Have you guys ever heard of him? Nope. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, he uh, was born in Hawaii in 1883, like half Hawaiian, half European. Uh, grew up on Waikiki Beach, and at that point in the 1880s, uh, nobody knew what surfing was except for the Hawaiians and other Polynesian cultures. It hadn't really right. made it beyond that, and the white people who came across it thought it was just kind of this frivolous, weird thing and kind of ignored it. But uh, Freeth was a surfer boy. He just loved it so much, um, and he learned it. Like he just, he was really amazing at it. He was like kind of the first. A natural. Yeah, exactly. Person to kind of make it a a main time. Like I'm going to spend as much time in the water, dude, as I can kind of person. So when he was a teenager in the early 1900s, an American adventure writer named Alexander Ford came out to write about Hawaii and he saw Freeth surfing and he was like, dude, teach me how to do that hang 10 bro yeah and, and he's like, like yeah i'll teach you bro what does that even mean teach yeah me how to dougie yeah <laughs> so freeth teaches him how Whitney. to surf i'm sorry and ford likes it so much that when he goes back to california he starts the outrigger canoe club which is generally considered to be the home of surfing in america and he introduced george freeth to another writer friend of his named jack london oh Hi. Yeah. Oh, Call of the Wild? Call of the Wild, Build a Fire, Frozen Alaska guy uh, learned how to surf (laughs) from Freeth. They became good friends. You can still read Jack London's kind of essay about George Freeth. It's not one of his better pieces of writing because he like got into surfing and he's kind of written like that. (laughs) Because the dog doesn't die in the end. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it turns out, so Freeth is like a really good teacher. He's very patient, he's intuitive, and he really understands the water. And at that time, nobody thought about the water. They just thought that the ocean was like this thing that you can't stop with a sword if you're a king and you can sail boats on, Mm -hmm. but that's all there is to know about it. Dramatic. 
So he was like, I understand tides. I understand rip tides. I understand how things go. So in 1907, he permanently relocates to Los Angeles, which at the time was nothing. But it was booming in that decade, and that booming was happening uh, in Santa Monica and Venice, specifically. Um, Venice, at the time, was being built by an insane, bearded, rich guy named Abbott Kinney. And the reason it's called Venice is he was literally trying to recreate Venice, Italy. And he was actually doing a pretty damn good job of it. Uh, it was kind of like the first theme park, but really just for him. And then just a couple miles south, Santa Monica, uh, Henry Huntington was another like big tycoon who had uh, developed his own beach resort. Huntington Uh, Beach. Exactly. Dang. That's Um, where Quicksilver was based out of. And he was trying to turn it into a huge resort because that would drum up business for the giant privately owned streetcar system that he built in Los Angeles. He basically wanted people to ride his streetcars, so he encouraged them to go to the beach. Makes sense. Yeah. What uh, year was that? 1907-ish. God, we did weird fucking shit back then. Yeah, so this is beach... Whatever makes money, man. Beach tourism, like, worldwide, was just starting to become a thing in the late 19th century or 20th century. Before that, going to the beach was seen as something you did if you wanted to fish or send your man off to his eventual death. Mm. Not really something you did to relax. But now mm. it is, right? So both of them, between Venice and Huntington, he became like a one-man tourist attraction. He gave surfing lessons. All the girls thought he was cute. Uh, you know, he kind of became an attraction all to himself. He was, uh, yeah, he was. What's his name again? I'm gonna his name is George Freeth, R- F-R-E-E-T, like teeth, but, but they're free. Got it. Uh Oh, of, he's cute. He's okay. Yeah. He's got a kicking bod for I mean, like yeah, 1907. He's, he's a surfer, you know? He looks short. Yeah. And kind of like grown up mm. alfalfa, really. He kind of does, yeah. R.I.P. Mm. It's 1907. Nobody's really trying, right? Yeah. Um. So anyway, he's uh, teaching all these people how to surf. They're all going out there on surfboards. But uh, uh-oh, it's dangerous. <gasps> so Freeth decides to become like the voice of water safety. Um, and this was actually a big problem for beach tourism in the early 20th century is that people who went to hang out at the beach kept drowning and the lifeguards that they put out there to help them kept also drowning. This happened for two reasons. Number one, nobody understood how the ocean worked. (laughs) So the lifeguards weren't just standing on the side and like running up and down the beach in slow motion. They were patrolling the beach in tiny little boats. So, which is the way you would help a sailor who had falling off right. a boat far off the coast, but it's not very helpful when somebody is getting pulled out to the ocean next to a bunch of rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't very good. The lifeguard, lifeguard boats themselves would often capsize because they'd you know, get smashed against rocks. And then the people, the lifeguards in the boats would also drown because they did not know how to get out of the riptide. Um, and then also until Freeth came along, everybody believed that once you got into a riptide, it would suck you under the water. And the only way to get out of it was to swim as hard as you can. And of course, that tires you out. And then you drown. Yep. So Freeth explained to everybody that riptides just pull you out and that you just sit in them until they stop pulling you out. And then you start waving your hands around and someone goes out and gets you wherever that is because the riptide's going to pull you away Ow. from the rocks and the danger. And that saved kind of everybody so um thank you freeze yeah he he, uh he actually started teaching other lifeguards to patrol the californian beach he called them watermen 
which mm. is cute. It's slightly better than semen. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, he taught them how to safely swim and paddle and row through the surf. He invented that kind of buoyant surfboard that lifeguards still use to this day to help them drag people back to shore. Um, and uh, distant sand running for getting healthy. Basically, everything you associate with California beach culture yeah. comes from George Freeth. So why hadn't you heard of him at the beginning, right? That's true. Let's get I'm into that. so into surf culture. Well... <laughs> he's a big guy in, in like american culture this is a huge yeah huge part they of have it, right? like statues and shit of him right he does have some he does have a statue i'll get to that's an interesting story in itself um so in 1908 he was awarded the congressional gold medal for uh saving seven fishermen from drowning off the venice pier thank you yeah and then uh he didn't really have a lot of money but he just kind of bounced around surfing and uh people realized oh man you're a really good swimmer uh you should join our olympic team so he did and he joined and he almost competed in the 1912 Olympics, which was when Olympic swimming started to become very famous. Johnny Weissmuller, who eventually became famous as Tarzan, mm. came out of that mm-hmm. kind of era of swimming and all that. But uh, the Olympics would not let him compete because he had been paid for aquatic activities and was no longer an amateur. Okay. So he couldn't go, but his really good friend, Duke Kahanamoku, could go. And that's who everybody thinks of as the father of surfing, oh. is Duke Kahanamoku. Because he was like the person who went out, got famous for swimming, showed everybody what like a Hawaiian surfer looked like, and became kind of the celebrity face of surfing. He won a bunch of gold medals uh, as a swimmer. Thanks, Duke, also. Yep. Meanwhile, Freeth moved down to San Diego, where they were starting to build up their beach scene. Um, and, uh, it really started booming after world war one, because then as now the San Diego coastline was the headquarters, West coast headquarters of the Navy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the 1910s or late 1910s, we all know what happened. World war one. So like San Diego exploded with all the Naval training for world war one. When the war ended, all those sailors came back. They kind of stuck around in San Diego or on ocean beach uh, they all got to know Freeth. He taught them all how to surf. He would ride up and down Ocean Beach in a motorcycle. That's so <laughs> like kind of like Cruise looking at people with his sunglasses on and right? stuff. Like just super cool for just... 1918, right? Uh, but the problem was all those soldiers coming back from the war uh, were all put in one place, uh, and they all brought back with them the flu, the really bad Spanish Uh-oh. flu that killed almost as many people as World War One itself. San Diego was one of the hardest hit. And uh, he uh, was hanging out with all these soldiers and he died of the flu in 1919 at the age of 35. Oh, fuck. His ashes were sent to Oahu for Waikiki Beach and he's in his family tomb there. Uh, He had a statue in Redondo Beach uh, until 2008 when somebody stole it and melted it down for the bronze. What? Fuckheads. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yep. Good. That's we haven't heard that in a while. I'm mad. A local businessman named Bob Maestrel, who founded Body Glove, the surf company, and literally invented the wetsuit, put up a five thousand dollar reward for the return of Freeth's statue, but it didn't come back. So then he put up a new one and it's been there since twenty ten. How did they know somebody melted it down? Well, that's just their guess because since it didn't come right. back, it wasn't stolen to be like black marketed and it was made out of yeah. bronze. And I guess in 2008, bronze was booming, yo. 
um, along with copper. I was going to say copper. Yeah. Always has a value. Uh, so that's the story of an amazing American who nobody remembers because uh, a pandemic took him out. Oh. Damn. And this ends the happiest episode ever. <laughs> Jesus. Freeze. The government's trying to kill you. I bet they fuck. Never mind. No, uh, don't start no. that. That'll come soon enough. <laughs> Something's gone. I bet that's already all over YouTube. <laughs> That the government started coronavirus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure Alex Jones is already saying that in between telling people that he's in his DWI. Was I was a, gonna say. Was I wonder if fluke. he got bailed out. He he I'm said it was sure. a hoax. His, DW, uh, his whole DWI sure was a hoax. Sure, it was Alex. <laughs> mm-hmm. His own life's a hoax now. Yeah, um, all of the DWIs that I know of have been hoaxes. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the, yeah, the government's just out there trying to fuck with people it's for true. sure. Yeah, I mean putting, that's true, but not if you're drunk. They're putting DWIs driving, in the water. If you're drunk, they don't even mm-hmm. give a shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang, right. there are a lot of hot boys in these pictures. Like every one of these dudes in the pictures. I don't know. Oh, if that's the original surfing club. This yeah, is the original. Is that him? That's not him. Right? I think so. That looks the most he like looks him. Looks like almost the hottest. Yeah. Other than this guy right here. No, yeah. he had yeah. that jawline. Dang. He was built. He looks kind of like, I don't know, like a very, I hate to say this, but he looks like kind of like a very buff Kevin Spacey without the acne. And not balding yet. Not balding yet. Yeah, yeah young, young buff Kevin young Spacey. Young buff hot Kevin Spacey. No. If that even existed ever. I don't think it did. Kevin Spacey is one of those dudes who's always looked kind of old. Yeah. That's the that's what with thinning hair it must be and all the you know sexual assault. Yeah, resting I mean it'll really will do fucking, for you. it'll take it out of you. It yeah. does. So I hear. Yeah, Lisa would know. That's why all the Sith look she like that. She sexually assaults exhausted. lots of people. Oh, she's <laughs> so fucking tired. You should see it. Bags under her eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hot. I am too. It's like fuck it, this. I think it's just because we haven't turned on the AC yet or yeah. had to. Oh yeah. And now it's, it's like just we're incubating the, the virus yeah. here. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's supposed to not be able to survive as well when it's hot. Oh, really? I thought COVID. Yeah. Oh, it's the anti-malaria. The north is more affected by it than we are down down here in America. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know what that means. Whatever. And Texas Texas is America. It is. Texas is America. (laughs) And when I said in the north, I also meant in the northern part of the United States. So not like north of the wall. I've heard things I've heard. It's harder for it to survive in hot climates. If you wake up every morning and you can hold your breath for more than 10 seconds without it being a problem, you're at least doing okay. What? Um, (laughs) Because they say that when people generally come to the doctor because they're experiencing symptoms and it's the respiratory stuff, by the time you can't hold your breath for that long, your lungs are at like 50% fibrotic, fibrosis, whatever. Um, So I've seen that in China, they're recommending that every morning you wake up and make sure you can hold your breath for at least 10 seconds. All right. So, mm. okay. Are you holding your breath right now, Lisa? But you have you to are. do it right when you wake up. I yes. I don't. I don't know if that's right. See, I can't do that in general it because hurt, I have. Though. Is it supposed yep, to hurt? Probably... No. What if you have just weak lungs in general? And I that... think it's the jeweling. 
COVID is just Could jeweling. Oh. oh my God, that'd be so well. Be I bet funny, but. <laughs> there aren't enough studies yet, but I'm sure smoking anything doesn't help it. Mm-mm. Hey, everybody. Smoking kills COVID. Let's yeah, see. They let's already tried to do that. Like, uh, what was it? Taking crack and drinking bleach can kill COVID. Hoax uh, is that fucking around. true? I've always heard no, it's not true. Alcohol kills it. Just like drink more. Oh, people who and drink then people that much who, always claim they don't people get People were like, you can use vodka instead for sanitizer if you can't find any. And it's like, you can, the thing, people think that all liquor can catch on fire. I see it in movies all the time and it's not fucking true. It has to be high, high proof liquor like Wild Turkey 101, Everclear. Bacardi 101, Everclear. If you pour fucking Tito's out on your table and try to set it on fire it's not going to do shit and it's also not going to sanitize your hands Boom. <laughs> this is my psa also uh prairie dogs still have bubonic plague so try not to get bit by a prairie dog you know, i'm sorry continue we still have outbreaks in colorado all the time amongst the prairie dogs not the people uh and people still get the fucking plague yeah there's a cure for it you there it doesn't kill you like, like it used to it still can kill you, though, sure, for if, sure. If you just sit around and do nothing about it. Like, I think ugh, if I could find that statistic, I don't know where it went. But I think it's like since 2008, there have been over 3000 cases of the plague. Yeah. Like it's still but how many fatal emerges. I don't know. Probably I can't figure out where it went. Yeah. But um, you can Google it on your own yeah, we at can. home. Oh, globally between 2010 and 2015. 2015. I'll say that. Uh, there were 3,248 documented cases of the plague, which resulted in 584 deaths. So oh, that's, that's a-, a pretty high percentage. Yeah. Um, most of them, though, are happening in third world mm. places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Madagascar, and Peru. Um, so okay. just I think it's a matter of getting yeah. treated. Well, just don't, don't mess with prairie dogs. Yeah. Lay off the prairie dogs. Also, the oldest presidential library is Herbert Hoover's. Don't ask me why they started then. There are older unofficial ones, but that was the first time we actually started keeping track of what presidents were doing. Does it look like a Hooverville? No. It is in Iowa. It looks sad. Nah, as they do. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Stay safe. Stay alive. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Don't use vodka to sanitize them. And don't light it on fire if you do. But try the crack and bleach thing. I'd like to know. Yeah. Don't do that. Please no, report please back. Please don't. We are not <laughs> responsible for spreading that meme.